think if it were me, I would go, I'm Jude, I'm the brother of Jesus. He doesn't refer to himself as the brother of Jesus. He didn't refer to himself as the reverend or the doctor or the theologian. I was reading this past week, and one guy made a comment many, many years ago that said, a lot of churches are dying by degrees. Y'all, y'all figure that one out in a minute. I think it's probably true. Um, but, but, but he says, listen, I, I want to write to you. I want to write to you about uh, uh, our common salvation. But I just felt it necessary. I was compelled. I, I was almost, I, I was so moved by the Holy Spirit to write to you that you must earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Okay? What is the faith? Well, in this context, it's not referring to the confidence that we have in being pleasing to God. In other words, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Is what the Bible says. In this context, though, it's not. It's not that. It is the faith. Do you see the definite article there in front of the word? It is the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. What is the, the faith? It is the embodiment of doctrine. The embodiment of doctrine which was given to the church through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. While it does include our, the, the doctrine of faith in Christ and salvation, it embraces the totality of biblical truth. Now here's what Jude is saying. Because Jude is a book about apostatizing. It is the little book that God chose to put right before the teaching on the tribulation. Which basically says, God is saying, listen, even in my writing, even in my word, I want you to know that before this happens, this has got to happen. And he connects those two books together. And Jude says to us, it is important, it is imperative. We must defend the faith. It was once for all delivered to the saints. Okay, y'all with me so far? Now, the reason I say that is because I've come across several things lately that I just want to share with you. I'm going to share some, some very personal, some very... Um, um, some things that just have been bothering me lately. Some things that I'm seeing, some things that I'm hearing uh, of things that are going on. I, I typically don't read anything outside of, 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 of biblical literature, whether it's extra, extra biblical literature. Um, Diane comes to our house and sees all those books piled up, and it's pretty much all connected to what the Scripture says. Don't do a lot of outside reading, reading blogs and all that kind of stuff. Honestly, I don't care what other people think most of the time. I mean, I just don't. I'm, I'm sure a lot of them have a lot of good things to say, but there's a whole lot more stuff that's better reading than just what somebody thinks about something. But this popped up on my Facebook page with one of my friends who is a godly man. Listen to what he says. I've done a lot of Bible study lately concerning the advancement of the Word of God. 
What I have discovered is that there is a position called extra-biblical words of the Lord. Now, extra-biblical, ladies and gentlemen, ought to be a red light. Okay? He's talking about the Bible. He's talking about the things the Bible says. He's come across this idea or this teaching or this position called extra-biblical words from the Lord. Wherein God speaks directly to believers. Okay? I know it sounds good, but just hang on just a minute. He says such an event is not backed up by any evidence in the Word. He's absolutely right. But listen to what he says. But I have taught it. In fact, and would like to hear from my friends about this issue. So you know what, Gary, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Don't be controversial. I couldn't do it. I, I, was, I was compelled to say something. I mean, I'm studying that says we're to defend the faith. So you know what, that government, now's a good time to start defending it. Here's what I said, and I believe this with all my heart. Just make sure what is spoken can be verified by what is written. What God says will never add to or take away from what is written. Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. Therefore, the only verification we have that what we hear is of God is his word. Earnestly defend the faith. The body of doctrine that we're taught as it relates to God's story and man's salvation. We're, we're, we're living in a time and in an age where people would like to twist that. Here's another one. I got a, uh, Lisa Collette sends me things every now and then. If somebody says to me, would you read this? I always do. But she sent this to me, and, and she said, tell me what you think. Now, now I'm just going to share a little bit of this with you, not the whole thing. This guy says, biblical has become the cop-out language for approving something as Christian without having to actually refer to the person of Christ. Y'all hang on. Some of it sounds pretty good. The term biblical means justifying something based on verses and ideas that are found within the Bible. Then, If that's true, then almost everything can legitimately claim to be Bible-based. That's a lie. Because the Bible can be used to rationalize and support almost any idea or agenda. Yes. And people do that. In a complex society, increasingly skeptical about claims related to absolute truth and indisputable facts, it's increasingly hard to use the Bible to support anything without coming across as biased and prejudiced. And what that means is without coming across as being narrow. Let me just say to y'all, the Bible is extremely narrow. So we're already being called names for being biblical, okay? So, he says there's a simple solution to all of this. Start replacing the term biblical with the term Christ-like. Okay, semantics. Just, just change the word, because while the Bible can be manipulated to say and mean almost anything, the words, actions, and life of Jesus aren't as pliable. So what is the most Christ-like way? He said it is the goal Christians should always be pursuing. Well, yeah, we're, we're to be pursuing Christ-likeness. The subtle difference from biblical to Christ-like has radical connotations. 
Because instead of being centered upon the text, we're now centering our faith on the person of Christ, which is what the Bible was intended for in the first place. Basically, ladies and gentlemen, here's what he's saying. He is separating the, wit, the written word from the living word. Okay? It's all about semantics. Let's just call it Christ-like. Let's don't call it biblical. I thought it was the same. He says, imagine all the times um, we, re- we read, see, hear the term biblical used. Now practice changing the wording of Christ-like. Now listen to this. Would you rather your church be biblical or Christ-like? The answer to that is yes. Because it is both. You can't separate the written word from the living word. But that's, that's, you know, I mean, it all sounds good. It all sounds spiritual. Listen to this. The semantics are important to understand because the different terms present two completely contrasting paradigms. No, they don't. One is based on textual interpretations and opinions, while the other is founded upon the words and actions of the living Savior of the world. Not always. If we're not careful, it's easy to idolize the Bible while simultaneously ignoring the very message of Christ. The Bible is the message of Christ, y'all. So, so, so look, those are the kind of things that we're, we're, we're told to defend. Those are the kind of things that we're, we're supposed to stand up for. Now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, listen to me, here it is. This is not to be offensive, but this is, this is somebody else is writing it, but here it is. Thus, the love of Jesus has been replaced. Legalistic doctrines that oppress the poor, immigrants, refugees, women, children, LGBTQ, and individuals, people of color, non-Christians, and many others. Boom, that's it. Embrace every lifestyle. That's the message of our world today. That's the message coming out of Christendom today. Embrace everything. Embrace every lifestyle. I get it. Listen, there are sins in the Bible that Christians love to hate. I get that. But the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If the Bible says something, the Bible means what the Bible says, and we're not left to interpretation of what we think it says. It's pretty plain. It says what it says. It means what it says. And in fact, the matter is, you ain't going to change it. You can't change it. So when somebody comes along and says, listen, you know, we need to, you know, I, I know this is old and this is archaic and this was Old Testament. This, listen, Old Testament and New Testament make up one Bible, not two separate Bibles, okay? Now, you, you remember that there were people who were living in the day of Jesus that believed the Old Testament God was angry and revengeful, and that the New Testament God, Jesus in the New Testament, was all loving. I don't know what they're going to do with the passages in the Bible that talk about all judgment has been given unto me. And anybody whose name is not found written in the book of life was cast out. Where there's weeping and where there's gnashing of teeth and where the worm doesn't die and where the fire is eternal. What are you going to do with those? 
Jude said, listen, there's going to come a time when you're going to have to stand up for what you believe in. Because here's what he says, for there are some men who secretly creep in. Now turn with me, right? turn, turn back over to Acts just for a moment. Acts chapter 20, just for a moment. Okay, I want to show you something here. And it becomes very interesting at this point because I'm, I'm, I'm connecting these two. Remember, Paul has told the, 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 the elders, the leaders, the shepherds, the, 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 the heads of his churches to take heed to yourselves and to the entire flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with own blood. Why does he want to do that? For I know that after my departure... Dreadful wolves, savage wolves, will enter among you, not sparing the flock. Now listen to this, circle this. Of your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things. He's not talking to non-believers, folks. He's saying to the elders at Ephesus, in your own churches, men are going to arise and speak things that are perverse. They're going to say things that aren't doctrinally sound. They're going to say things that make you feel good. They're going to say things to kind of soothe your conscience. But the fact of the matter is, it is not sound doctrine. Teach those things, he said, that are becoming to sound doctrine. What are those things? The tenets of our faith. The things that we've been taught from childhood. You remember Paul told Timothy, and from childhood, how from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise. We're living in a day, ladies and gentlemen, when God's given us a book, not only to base our living on, but to base our eternity on, and we, we spit in the face of the man who gives it to us and, and think we know better than he that he's old and archaic, he's some old decrepit grandfather who's up there in heaven who's kind of lost, lost sense of the world. We know better, we know more. I'm going to tell you why. Let me tell you exactly. This stuff right here that I read to you is just a form of modern-day Gnosticism. Gnosticism is where we get our word, no. We know. The modern-day Gnostics... And this time, which I think Jude was probably writing to quite a bit, believed that they had a superior knowledge than anybody else, that they were in this own little group, and that if you didn't have that knowledge, you weren't part of that group, and you, you weren't part of the Enlightenment, this, this extra-biblical revelation that God gives. I know God's Word doesn't say that, but He has spoken to me, and here's what He said. He's given me this new revelation. Dr. Vines' favorite saying is this. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. There is no... Look, God enlightens us. The Holy Spirit enlightens us through His Word. We get to know the attributes of God through His Word. We get to know God through His Word. But the fact of the matter is, is God doesn't come down to anybody and say to them, listen, I'm going to tell you something a little bit different that's in here because you need to spread this Word for me. You cannot separate. It is the living Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to put Him in a list of priority, yes, He's got to be on top. But I'm going to tell you what close after it is His God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired Word.
And Jesus said, we got to defend that. we got to defend that. Not many churches in our world this morning standing up and saying, thus says the Lord. Billy Graham's favorite saying, y'all know what it is. The Bible says, not what I say, not what, not what has been revealed to me, the Bible says. So Jude says to us, in this day of apostasy, in this day of falling away. By the way, most Gnostics were antinomia, antinomialists too. Antinomianism, I can't talk as fast as I used to when I was younger is the idea, the word antinomian is where we get our word law. So the Gnostics believed in no law. The Bible says that they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, which basically means no law. We can do whatever we want to do. Because grace abounds, then, and because we're under grace, and we can live any way that we want to live. Because we have been given this extra knowledge that God, that, that, that God had just spoken to us privately. One of the things that I will say to you is if somebody comes to me and says to me, the Lord told me this, a lot of times I'll wait and see if the Lord has told somebody else too. The Scripture, the Bible, prophecy is of no private interpretation. It's there, it's open, it's ours. Read it, get to know it, because I'm going to tell you what, there's going to come a day when you will have to defend it. Now let me ask you a question. What if somebody came through and confiscated all these Bibles? We're so worried about confiscation of guns. What, what if they confiscated the Bible? Would you know enough Bible to defend your faith if those days came? Did you know over in China... If I were to have this Bible in China today when I left, 66 books in here would be distributed among 66 pastors. They'd tear a chapter out in hand, and that's what they would go back and they would teach because they don't have it. They're craving, looking for the Word of God. And we just thumb our noses at it. A lot of us this morning probably had to just brush the dust off of it because we, we picked it up where we laid it down when we came in last Sunday. Now, I'm not halfway through the introduction. So what is this book about? It's about beware. Beware. Did you see what Paul told these elders at Ephesus? Beware. Because there are going to be there are going to be those, verse 29 who are going to come in. They're going to be like wolves. They're not going to spare the flock. Even from among you, men will arise. Speaking perverse things, what? To draw disciples away after themselves. And Paul gives us the key. And this is as far as I'm going to go this morning, okay? Because this is, this is enough information for you all to try to process. But I want to go through these three things. If you'll notice in the book of Jude... As you read through the book of Jude, 25 verses in one little book, one little letter, uh, he clumps everything up in threes. Okay, so let me give you these three things really quick, okay? So, Gary, how do I, in this world that we live in, in the skepticism of the world that we live in, in the, in the atmosphere of the world we live in, the culture we live in, 
give me some principles so that when the time comes, I, I can defend my faith. That, that I'll be courageous enough to do that, okay? So look at what he says. Verse 29, for I know that after my departure, dreadful wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock, even from among you men will arise uh, men speaking perverse things to draw disciples away to themselves. Therefore, watch. You see that? Write that down. Watch. One of our responsibilities in defending the faith is watch. Be on the alert. You see, the fact of the matter is, if you're not very careful, the enemy is so subtle that he, won't, he don't want you to see the apostasy, the, the taking away of prayer in school, the, 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 did y'all see it this week when Drew Brees did a commercial about bring your Bible to school day and they called him a man who was participating in hate speech? Watch. Don't, don't, be, don't be caught by the tsunami of a godless culture who doesn't know God, who don't want you to know God, who wants to suppress God, Romans chapter 1 says, from knowing the truth. Because if men know that truth, then you know what? The possibility is there for them to be saved. Watch. It was so interesting as you go through and you read through some of this stuff. And it's like, man, right there it is, right in front of us. But we're so, we're so caught up in our own little world and what we want to do, as long as we're fine, that, that's just great. But the fact of the matter is, there are people out there who are drowning in an ocean of sin. And think about it for a moment. Tony, Paul, y'all know this. There was a time, and I've said this before and I'll continue to say it, there was a time when something that was not godly went on in a town, they would worry about what the preacher said and what they would get in their pulpit and say. And now even through our own government, there is a move to stop that kind of speech because it's hate speech. No, it's not. It's true. It is true. And people, as one of my favorite movies says, can't handle the truth. When you're angry, facts don't matter. Watch. You see them? Watch. So that's one thing we do. We just look around. Watch. What, is, what are your children being taught in school? What are they watching on television? What are they listening to in their music? Watch. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on around you. This involves you. You're in the middle of it. Beware is what he would say. Now, what's the second thing? I'll find all these little numbers here in a minute. Remember. Remember. Well, what are we to remember? Well, we, we are to remember that God is true and every man's a liar. We don't take our cues from TV. We don't take our cues from the culture. We don't take our cues from, um, from, from outside agencies, our magazines, our blogs. Your cues come from God's Word. Remember what God's Word says. And God's Word says that in the last days, men will depart from the faith. That's happening. It's all around us. It's happening. 
So here's one of the two things I would do if I were you. Number one, I would be on my guard. And number two, I would be encouraged by looking up every morning. As one old preacher used to say, Lord, if not today, maybe tomorrow. I've never heard in my life more people say, man, I just wish the Lord would just come on that I'm hearing in this day and time. Remember, remember, we know that we know. We know that we know that we know. We talked to our college kids this morning about the things that rob us of that Christian joy, the circumstances and the things and the people and the worry. We have no control over any of those things, but we can control how we react to what happens to us. So just remember. Remember this. You know what? All is not lost. Remember this. The war ain't even started good yet. And as quickly as the war starts, ladies and gentlemen, it will be over. Again, Dr. Vines takes that passage over in the book of Revelation and says of it, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and righteousness he judges and makes war. He's going to come down one of these days, and all the nations of the, of the earth are going to be gathered against Israel. Jesus is going to come on his horse with his saints. And he's going to speak two words, drop dead. And the war will be over. Remember. Remember when you get discouraged. Remember when your heart is breaking over things that are gone. Remember. Remember, God's got a bigger plan than that. God's got a better future for you than that. This is not all that there is. Paul says, watch. Pay attention to what's going on. And remember. But I want to show you something else because we're all not very good at this one. Therefore, watch, remember. Then he says that for three years. That for three years. I didn't stop warning you with tears. With compassion. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. We all, because of our human nature, we all like to make this statement sometimes, I suspect. Well, I can't wait till the Lord shows up. He'll show them. He'll put them in their place. They'll get what they deserve. Paul didn't do that. Paul wept. Jesus did the same thing. You remember? Going down the slopes of the Mount of Olives, looked over Jerusalem, said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, how often I would have taken you as a mother chick takes her children and, and protects them under her wings, but you, you wouldn't have any of it. Jesus Christ is not in heaven today wielding a big stick ready to beat everybody up who's rejected him. Jesus Christ is up there with a broken heart that men and women and boys and girls will die without Christ. Think Paul, the Apostle Paul, think about it. Night and day, I didn't cease to warn you. And it was always with tears. Does it break your heart that people are going to die and go to hell? Does it break your heart that people don't know Jesus? Does it break your heart? Listen, it breaks, it breaks our hearts 
when we see people who are suffering with cancer. It breaks our hearts when we see a family who experiences a loss of a loved one. It breaks our hearts when we see children in hospitals suffering. But there is a suffering out there that is far greater and far worse than any of that kind of suffering. And it is the suffering of man who is living in his sin. And the fact of the matter is, although there's not a cure for some of that other stuff, there is a cure for the sin sickness, and that is Jesus Christ. And it's our responsibility, ladies and gentlemen, to point people in the right direction. Are you saved? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? I mean, I mean, do you have an assurance in your heart that man, Jesus, Jesus popped in here right now and you were gone? If you don't have that assurance, can I say to you, one second after death, your eternity is established. One second after you take your last breath, it is established. There will be no second chances. I got on another Facebook page one day and got all stirred up because this friend of mine was dying. Here's what he said. I'm ready to go. I I, want to go to heaven. I I love Jesus. I've been saved. I I just want to know that I'll know my loved ones in heaven. That, That was the question. He gets his Facebook post about this long, talking about transcribing Scripture and how I know Scripture and how that people are going to have an opportunity one more time when Jesus comes to be saved. I couldn't bite my tongue on that one either. But that's what's being taught. That's what people believe. That's, listen, if you're, hoping, if you're hoping that that's going to be you, you're hoping against hope. Ain't going to happen. So if you're going to do anything for the Lord, you better do it now. When Chris left his house with those children in his car last week, he fully expected to come home. But before the day was over, he went home, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The encouragement of this family was they got to... He got to walk into heaven with his daughter. They got to go together. If that were you, I'm not trying to scare you. I mean, I'm really not. I don't believe in scare tactics. I don't I think the Holy Spirit works that way. I think what the Holy Spirit does is just cuts you open and exposes you, show you exactly who and what you are. And those of us who even know Jesus, if he did the same thing, we would be aghast at what we see. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, right? If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus is your Savior, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, you can make that decision right now. You can know that you know that you know. That when one day the Lord comes and you go, you will know. There's some of you here this morning who the Holy Spirit has placed a challenge in your heart to defend this faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Listen, it don't happen in Sunday school. It don't happen here on Sunday mornings. It happens out there in the streets and in the highways and the hedges. The call 
goes out through us, be reconciled to God. So if you're here this morning, you've never been saved and you want to be, you know what, come. If you're here this morning, you've been saved, but you never made it public. Never been through the baptismal waters. We want you to come. Make it public. It don't save you, but it is a testimony to the inward change that goes on inside of you when the Holy Spirit comes in and saves you. You may be here this morning and you want to join our church. You've been thinking about it for a while. You, you come this morning and do that. If you found a home, welcome home. Um, you may be here this morning and you're just not, you know, you're not real sure. You have to ask yourself the question. Do I know that I know that I know? And if you don't, you know what you can know. Let me tell you what usually what usually creates that in your life if you're a believer is drifting. I used to be real close to the Lord, but I'm not anymore. It's when you're out here, out from under the security and the knowledge of being with the Lord every day and reading His Word every day and knowing what His Word says, that the devil comes in and starts planting these doubts in your life. And I want to say to you, I want to say to, you, I want to, say to every one of you, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Because there's an instance that I heard about. I'll deal with it when the time comes, when I see her. But there's an instance where somebody said to me that somebody had been to our church. And because she had been told that the things that she has done in her life are unforgivable, she's really struggling. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus died for all sin. So if you're struggling with that this morning, you need to come and pray. There'll be people who will pray with you. Tom, you, you and Kurt, go ahead. I could go on and on and on. I'm about this much through with this much message this morning, okay? So you'll get the rest of it next week. So let's sing something. Let's stand together. God, I ask you this morning just to speak to hearts like you've never spoken to them before. I pray, Heavenly Father, this morning that this will be the most serious moment that anyone would experience for the rest of this week. God, you are calling us. You are wooing us. You are loving us into the kingdom with your kindness. Father, may we not neglect the greatest gift that's offered to us, and that is the gift of salvation. Because it only comes through Christ, and it's in Christ's name that we pray.